Join Ave Explorers on a journey into the desert with Father John Burns and his book, Return, a guided Lent journal for prayer and meditation. On the Ave Explorers podcast, host Katie Prejean McGrady and special guests will help you reorient your mind and heart this Lent so you can more fully experience the joy of Easter. Podcast guests include Sister Miriam James Heidland, Father Augustino Torres, Mark Hart, Rocky McCormick, and more. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Hands off the Democratic Republic of Congo. Hands off Africa. Stop choking Africa. It is not a mine to be stripped or a terrain to be plundered. May Africa be the protagonist of its own destiny. Pope Francis has returned to the Vatican after his six-day visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan, which he called a pilgrimage of peace. It's enormous, passionate crowds like these that illustrate just how much power the Pope wields in much of Africa. And if any one person could influence change, it's him. Jerry was aboard the plane, traveled with him from place to place, and was there to witness the Pope's meetings with the millions of people who lined the streets and stadiums to see him. A day of joy and celebration. A million Congolese to see Pope Francis and hear his message of peace in this country racked by conflict. On the show, Jerry will share with us some of what he experienced among the people of the DRC and South Sudan this past week, and he will offer us a taste of a church which he says is amazing and alive. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from a cold and sunny Rome, Ricardo. Well, New York is a little cold. It's not as cold as it was this weekend. I think I experienced the coldest day in my history, certainly, uh, this past Saturday. But you were in much warmer climes, so maybe you're just feeling the cold a little more intensely after returning from Africa. Most certainly. It was nearly 38, 39 in Juba in South Sudan when we left. Wow. And it was 11 degrees when we got here in Rome. And today it's much colder. Oh, how I long for Africa. Jerry, we're going to get into the specifics of your visit, both to the Democratic Republic of Congo and to South Sudan. But just a bird's eye view, what was it like to visit these two countries? Well, it really was, I would say, inspiring, refreshing, amazing, because we went to two countries where conflict is a daily experience of many people. There's war going on in both countries. But we found people really so joyful that the Pope arrived. They say, here's a man of God. Here's a man who prays. and God will listen to his prayers and we will get peace. And they're putting tremendous hopes in him. People line the streets from the airport to the city center. Some of them with branches of trees, waving, waving, cheering, dancing. They were standing on rooftops. Definitely a church alive, a people alive. A young church alive. Mm. A young church which is really Viva. far from the culture wars that we hear in North America, in Europe, far from the feeling that the church is a kind of a, almost dead. Here we see a church that is 
the, the people are fighting for survival. So, Jerry, this is Pope Francis' first visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo, but it's not a pope's first visit. This was the second visit in 38 years. Pope John Paul II had visited there twice before, the last time in 1985. It's a country that's home to 95 million Catholics, which is about half of the population. The Pope gave seven talks while he was there. This is a place, as you've said, riddled with violence and conflict. An estimated six million people have died there alone between 98 and 2008 and so many since. I think that if our audience reads two things from this visit, they should read his address to the South Sudanese leaders and to the Democratic Republic of Congo, to its government, because those messages could not have been clearer. And in the DRC, he said, hands off the DRC, hands off Africa. What is the Pope getting at here? Well, the Pope knew the reason for his coming was to try and help the peace process to put an end to the violence. As simple as that. He wanted to help the local church. They have been begging him to come. Please come. They feel forgotten by the world. I spoke to a young lawyer and he said, the world forgets us. Here is the Pope coming in a wheelchair. Hmm. And that really impressed everybody. The wheelchair has become an asset because people see that the Pope is giving his all to help these people. And then we get to the palace and there are uh, about, uh, I think, a thousand people gathered in the ground, the gardens of the palace. And uh, the Pope comes and the president says, it's an honor that you have come. We're very grateful. This country has suffered killings of 10 million people. We're talking about a population now 95 million. Mm. But over the past 20, 25, 30 years, 10 million people have been killed. Hmm. You don't get this in the news, Ricardo. Hmm. And he says, why the silence of the world? And the president said, we've got one of the lo two lungs of the world. We've got the equatorial forest. And we also have to try and protect this against outside interests, which want to logging and such like. And then the Pope spoke and Really, he was applauded several times. The first thing he said was, he said, I wanted so much to be with you, to share with you, to give what I can to help you. This is because his trip had been postponed from last year when he had the problem with his knee. Yes, but he's long wanted to come. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in his script. He denounced the genocide. I remember the former Archbishop of Kinshasa, Cardinal Monsuengo, saying to me in 2009, he said, I cannot understand why there's so much commotion. And he said, rightly so, over the genocide in Rwanda. But in the Congo, nobody's talking. And he's, he attributed the cardinal, that time, 2009, to this real quest for the rare minerals in the east of the country. The Pope said exactly that. He said, the killing has happened and it continues to this very day. In fact, he wanted to go to the east of the country, but he was told you cannot go there because it's too much risk. That's in, I'm sorry, when, when you say the east of the country, that's Goma. Tremendous violence, rebel militias, the M23, etc. Yes, but it's bordering uh, Uganda, it's bordering Rwanda, uh, and, uh, they, and the Rwandas is supporting some of the, uh, the rebel fighters. And uh, 
So they said if, if you, he went, went there, there was a risk that maybe somebody would throw a bomb in the stadium. And he said, I can't put people's lives at risk like this. And then he said, then there's corruption in the country. And when he addressed the young people in, in this stadium in Kinshasa, the young people, when he spoke about the corruption, young people started chanting, no more corruption, no more corruption. It went on for half a minute or a minute. And then, in fact, we, we learned later that uh, five of these young people, plus a priest, were arrested and, and kept detained for something 34, 36 hours. But the Pope spoke so strongly. And then he said, we must stop the violence. We must stop the arms flow. He also defended the territorial integrity of the Congo. The president had said in his speech, there are forces which are trying to break up the east, to balkanize, break up into small units the east of the country, so the outside interests can more easily have access to the rare minerals. So that's particularly in Rwanda and Uganda, right, where there are, there's so much illegal mining going on of minerals and plundering of the Earth's mineral wealth. But he's also critiquing the developed nations, right? I mean, he's critiquing the role that the developed nations are playing in these African states where this is taking place. Yes, but the multinationals and the, and, and the developed nations, they're taking the minerals. The U.S., way back in the year 2009, was number one importer. Then China. Now, I think China is perhaps even more ahead, but there are other, other, some of the other big powers also. And then multinational companies from states, from Europe, from Canada. And uh, in fact, on the plane coming back, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury was very explicit about this. I mean, and the Pope himself could not have been clearer. In, in that address, he said, stop choking Africa. It is not a mine to be stripped or a terrain to be plundered. The poison of greed has smeared its diamonds with blood. I mean, these are very powerful words from the Pope. The Pope was very courageous. He was talking truth to power and to economic interests. And he said something there. He said, African countries and the Democratic Republic of the Congo have got political independence, I think, 1960 in the Congo. And he said, but they didn't get economic independence. Previously, they were subject to political colonialism. Now they're subject to economic colonialism. But the Pope went beyond, Ricardo, he, he went beyond denouncing the evils. He said, we must address them. And he supported the church there, which is providing 60% of the health care in the country and 40% of the education. It's really uh, doing what government should be doing. So he said, he said to the government, you must protect the people, also the humanitarian workers, that, uh, and they're being put at risk and being killed. Yeah, I mean, really, it's a modern-day martyrdom, right? People who are dying for what they believe in, for their faith. There was a famous bishop in, in one part of the country, a Jesuit bishop, who was killed because he spoke out. Mm -hmm. Jerry, we can't separate this mission of peace, this pilgrimage of peace that Pope Francis speaks of, from the role of the church and from the effect that the Catholic Church has had in this country. But we have given quite a bit of focus now to the politics uh, at play and what Pope Francis had to say to the political situation. What did Pope Francis have to say to the church and the people and the faithful, remembering that this is, you know, this is a visit to the people of the Congo, to the Catholic faithful? 
What did he say to them? On the second day, he had this really, perhaps the event that struck us most, it certainly struck me most, he had the meeting with the victims of the violence from the east of the country. And if I tell you, I warn the listeners that uh, some of what I'm going to say now is really disturbing. So maybe if our listeners skip ahead just you know, two minutes or so, if they don't want to hear this description. These were people brought by the church groups in different parts of the east of the country, including the Jesuit refugee service. One young man said he was in his house when the armed group came in, and he said, my dad said, go under the bed. So he went under the bed. He saw them chop to pieces his dad from under the bed. Then he saw them rape his mother. And then they took his mother away, and he hadn't seen her since. Another young woman was 16 years old when the killers came in. They didn't kill her. They took her and several other girls, young women, same age. They took them away, and they kept them for three months. And they raped them several times each day. And they had them eat the bodies of people they killed. Oh, wow. And what did the Pope have to say to these people? The Pope listened in silence, and you could see pain in his face. And then there was women whose hands had been cut off. And then each of them brought some item, instrument of the killing, a hatchet, a machete, mm -hmm. and they put them at the foot of the cross by the Pope. And they told him, we forgive those who did such evil to us. That's astounding. It's amazing, Ricardo, to see these people smiling, to hear the testimony from these victims. We forgive those who did such evil to us. I mean, this is Christianity at its highest level. So, Jerry, let's, let's turn to the church now. So the Pope met with young people. The Pope met with bishops and religious. What were his messages there? And he met with more than a million people at the Mass. Yeah. And so at the Mass, he pushed a strong message. We do not respond to evil with evil. We respond to evil with good. And then he met the bishops. So he, he met the priests. He met the religious. He met the seminarians. He gave the same to them. Don't think about your own comfort. You give your life for the other people. Think of the other people and work for them. And he said, told the bishops, you pray and you pray, you keep, become close to God, and you take a prophetic role of denouncing the evil, even if it costs you. One of the bishops, as I said, was killed. And some of these young people uh, were arrested following, you know, these chanting of no corruption, so standing up for their faith, even while the Pope was on Congolese soil. And, and two years ago, the current cardinal, Cardinal Ambongo, told me that he has been verbally threatened by high-up people over the defense of the creation of the environment. They don't want the church talking out like this. Uh, but the Pope says, God calls you to console the people, to stand by them, to be their advocate, and to speak out. The Catholic Church in the DRC is 
you know, is politically active, is socially active, handling about 60% of the country's healthcare and education. It's giving martyrs to the universal church, Ricardo. And it's also a church at prayer, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine what it was like to be at Mass with over one and a half million people. I think it was so, so moving to hear more than a million people, total silence in the Pope's homily. But they were listening. People were praying, singing, and then the singing with such joy. And there was dancing in each of the Masses both in Kinshasa and in Juba, you had this wonderful dancing. You have a liturgy, a mass, which takes in the culture of the people and gives expression to it. Oh, Mama Africa, how I long for you. Uh, I, I long for those liturgies again. They really are, you know, as you know, I, I've experienced them on many occasions. I'm from there and it's from the African continent. And it's just, it is a very different way of worshiping wholeheartedly and with your entire body. Jerry, we could talk forever <laughs> about the DRC, but I, I want to ask you, what is the abiding memory that you are left with from this first leg of the Pope's visit? Well, the testimony of the victims was surely something that you cannot forget. But also, I was struck, Ricardo, you know, the past weeks we've been talking about the criticism of the Pope here in Rome by various people. There, the Pope is so loved so, so loved. They, many people say, here is a man of God. And it's not just the Catholics. The, the people, they feel that somehow the Pope unites them. He's bringing them together and he's giving them hope. And that message of hope continues, right, as, as he moves on to the second leg of his visit in South Sudan. That message of hope just rings true in a continued way. So we'll hear more about that just after the break. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So on Friday morning, the Pope left the capital city of the DRC, Kinshasa, for the capital city of South Sudan, Juba, to continue what he said was a mission of peace and reconciliation. But on this leg of the trip, he was joined by two other prominent Christian leaders, Archbishop Justin Welby of Canterbury, who's the symbolic head of the Worldwide Anglican Communion, or the Episcopalian Church, as we now know it in the U.S., and Ian Greenshields, who is the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. This was the first visit of any pope to South Sudan because it's the world's youngest country, so no pope had visited here before. But it was also the first time, I think, a pope has made an apostolic visit with two prominent Christian leaders as a symbol of ecumenism, of Christian unity. Yes, it's the first time a pope has gone to South Sudan. Because John Paul II went to Sudan when... South Sudan was, and Sudan was one of the biggest African countries. Then the country split, and since 2011, South Sudan is a separate country, majority mm -hmm. Christian country. Uh, the four and a half million Anglicans out of a population of 13 million today, 
and uh, half the population are Catholic, and the 74% of the population are under the age of 30. So it's again like the, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. You, you see everywhere young people, young people everywhere. And uh, the Pope drove from the airport to the uh, presidential palace again. And there he had meeting with the President Kiir. Mm -hmm. So this is President Salva Kiir and the Vice, Vice President, Riek Masha. Yes. And they had a conversation. We thought it was meant to last a half an hour. In fact, it went on for more than an hour. So they had a very deep conversation. And then when the Pope arrived at the airport, the Archbishop of Canterbury was there with the moderator of the Church of Scotland. And they both went up to the plane and they welcomed the Pope. And for the rest of the trip, it was an ecumenical pilgrimage for peace. And I remember on the plane coming back, the Archbishop of Canterbury said, at the time of the Reformation, in the 1500s, two of our churches didn't exist the Anglicans and the Presbyterians. There was only one church. He said, then the 150 years after that, we were killing each other. And then the 300 or more years after that, we were condemning each other. He said, if we can make peace, as we are showing today that we're working together for peace, then there's hope in this country and in the world to overcome the divisions. And I, I thought he summed it up beautifully because we have never seen three Christian leaders going into a country, pleading for peace, supporting the local church. And the great thing, Ricardo, is the local church in South Sudan, they've always been worked together. So ecumenism has been alive there. The church has been responsible for this mission of peace building, right? I mean, in the electoral process, it was responsible for election observance missions. It's been responsible for brokering peace, especially notably uh, the community of Sant'Egidio with a comprehensive peace agreement. And we have a video explainer that's on our YouTube channel that explains all of that. But I mean, the church has been instrumental in this peace building process in the country. The churches, really. The churches are keeping the country afloat. Again, Jerry, when the Pope arrived, he addressed the leaders of South Sudan together with the moderator and the archbishop. And he started his speech saying, this may appear a blunt and direct message. And he implored leaders to, quote, leave the time of war behind and let a time of peace dawn. Yes. Both he and the archbishop of Canterbury told them really to their face, said, you made promises. You signed a peace agreement in 2018. You came to Rome 2019, and you said you were going to work for peace. It's not happening. It's stagnant. So he and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Church of Scotland, they came to, first of all, to ex publicly express their full support for the church, for the peace process, and to give support to civil society, because there are lots and lots of uh, humanitarian organizations, not just church ones, but also humanitarian, Doctors Without Frontiers, all these people are working there. And they said, you must protect the government. He was telling them straight to the face, you must protect these people. They're not coming to exploit you. They're coming to help the development of your country. You have a duty. Again, his calls in South Sudan were similar to those in the Democratic Republic of Congo, both politically, economically, socially, responding to similar ills. One of the things that you've said about this visit is that the visit to South Sudan particularly uh, shows the power of the papacy 
What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, as I said earlier, it shows the significance of the Pope. Amazingly, on the morning, the Friday morning when the Pope arrived, the president had a meeting with the cabinet, and he decided that he would pardon 26 people on death row. So 26 people now will not be executed. That's already a tangible result. He also pardoned other people for lesser crimes. But then in his speech, in the presence of the Pope, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the moderator of the Church of Scotland, he said, in honor of the Pope Francis's visit, we are going to, that's the government of South Sudan, going to restart, return to the negotiation with the holdout groups. There are six groups which never signed on to the peace agreement in 2018, and they represent about a third of the country. Mm-hmm. And those negotiations have stalled famously since then. The government pulled out of them. And now they're committed to going back. The Sant'Egidio Lay community in Rome is going to host it at the end of February, the beginning of March. And these are two tangible results. But the third thing was the president said, he was obviously a bit shocked by what the Pope had done when he went on his knees, even despite the pain he was suffering, to kiss their feet. He said, Holy Father, your humble gesture was not in vain. Hmm. But the Pope said, it is no longer time for words. We need deeds. The Archbishop of Canterbury said, I come here and I grieve that the commitments you made in 2019 have not been kept. You promised you would work for people. They were very blunt. Mm-hmm. But as I said earlier, they spoke truth to power. Jerry, the church in South Sudan has been in- instrumental in building this peace. One of the people you met while you were there was Sister Orla. Tell us about Sister Orla and the work she is doing to rebuild the country. Sister Orla is an Irish Loretta sister who came to the country some 16 years ago. She was living up in Rumbek. Uh And she went there and she found there was no schools, really, for girls. So she set up schools for girls. Now, girls normally in this part of the world, they would be married off at the age of 15. And if they hadn't a husband by the age of 18, they were more or less ostracized. And she has this great school going. And she said, they knew we were on a march, for a walk for peace to go and meet the Pope. Did she meet with the Pope? Do we know? She did. The Pope knew about their coming and he met and he had a photo with them. And one of the young girls said to me, I just went and and splashed in the Nile. They were so overjoyed. That's wonderful. Jerry, I have no idea how the Pope does this, right? I I was reading some people writing, Vatican watches writing. I I just have no idea how he has such energy for a six-day visit with all these talks, meeting all these people, very intensely emotional moments, and then still gets on a plane (laughs) with two people, uh, with the moderator and the archbishop, and gives a press conference. And of course, as always, those press conferences are a source to collect what happened on the ground and, and sort of the Pope's initial impressions, but often to give us a few other things. And two things that they really spoke about on this visit were the persecution of LGBTQ persons, which had been picked up in an interview before the Pope arrived in Africa by the Associated Press. And again, the moderator 
of the Church of Scotland, the Archbishop of Canterbury and Pope Francis strongly rejected any persecution of LGBTQ persons uh, and said that this was really a crime. And he also spoke about something else, which is probably the thing that circles most uh, in Western media, um, which is these criticisms after Pope Benedict XVI's death that Pope Benedict had a complicated relationship with Pope Francis. And the Pope said that any kind of allusion to this is unethical. What was your sense of these comments? He criticized pretty heavily those who, what he called, instrumentalized the death of Benedict. And by which he's talking about, in, especially in the book by Archbishop Ganschwein, but also in, in, in other comments by others. And Francis said, this is not true. He called it a, a quintus chinos, a tall tale, a fairy tale, an invention. He said, I talked with Benedict about everything that, that we needed to talk about. He talked with me. If we had different of opinion, we talked. And he said, which even changed our opinions. And he said, we had no problems. He said, Benedict was a great man. I would even say he was a holy man, a man of God, a holy father of the church. He said, those who instrumentalize him this way are people without ethics. It was very powerful. Jerry, we're going to have to leave it there. We've covered so much, and this show could probably go on for hours if we really debriefed everything that happened during these six days. The thing that stays with me, though, and I think it's important for our listeners, is Pope Francis is a man of prayer. He started this visit praying. He prays for every country as he flies over each country. He sends a telegram sending his prayers and best wishes to the countries. On the way back, he does the same. He arrived in Rome and he prayed at uh, St. Maria Maggiore, thanking her for this visit. It, it really is for him a pilgrimage of prayer and a mission of peace. That was clear on this trip. For a church that is exceptionally alive, which you have painted with vivid color. So thank you for your time, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Ricardo. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our audio engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles, and production assistance from Kevin Jackson, Christopher Spielman, and Vivian Richard. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is recorded in the William J. Loschett Studio at America Media in New York and at the Jesuits International Headquarters in Rome. To keep up to date with the latest Vatican coverage from America Media, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ, that's R I C D S S J and Jerry at Jerry O'Rome. That's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. We also ask that you consider becoming a digital subscriber to America. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe. It's easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. We'll see you next time. <laughs>